Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Worship at Ward Church, wherever you are. I'm really glad that you joined us today for our study. When you're writing a letter, how do you close? How do you end an email or a letter? Because you probably have a standard way of landing. Most people do. It's unique enough that historians have kept track of how famous people have done this. Uh, for example, some people, when they end a letter, they pledge themselves in some way. George Bernard Shaw would end every letter with yours truly. Margaret Thatcher, yours ever. Uh, J.R. Tolkien, I trust that you will find this reply satisfactory and remain yours faithfully. Tolkien was a wordy fellow. Uh, some would go with more prepositional phrases like this, with the greatest esteem and respect. I am, dear sir, your most obedient and most humble servant. It's how Benjamin Franklin ended his letters. And scholars, uh, historians say Benjamin Franklin was actually not a humble person, uh, but that is a historical story for another day. Albert Einstein closed his letter uh, with friendly thanks and with best wishes, yours. Uh, some go with, with adverbs in their closing. Affectionately, your brother is how Abraham Lincoln closed his letters. Jackie Robinson, respectfully yours. Edgar Allan Poe, truly yours. And Ernest Hemingway, always your friend. Uh, some, went, uh, some went more uh, in this direction, more short and sweet. Cheers, regards. Mark Twain would say, adieu, adieu, adieu to you and you and you. And uh, Dr. Seuss just closed all the best. We've been in a study as a church studying the book, uh, the New Testament book of Philippians, which is actually a letter written from the Apostle Paul to people in the ancient church of Philippi. And today we're going to close out this letter. So how did Paul end? How did he close his letter? We're going to find out today. And his closing includes what has become the most viral verse in the entire Bible. The single verse that has been shared, tweeted, hashtagged, posted, favorited, bookmarked, and read more than any other verse in the Bible. We're going to get to that today. So let's dig in. Paul starts the ending of his letter. Uh, he starts it this way. He says in Philippians 4.10, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Now let's stop there, make sure we understand the context. Paul is in prison for his faith, and the Philippians are concerned for him, physically, emotionally, spiritually, and they want to be a tangible help to him, and we'll discover in a moment that the tangible help took the form of a financial gift. And so Paul wants to acknowledge their concern for him and thank them for their gift. He goes on. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I, there we go. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And so uh, here Paul, while thanking them for their gift, also wants them to know that he's very committed to living 
with contentedness. And then in saying that to them, he throws out uh, the line that has become the most viral Bible verse of all time. According to the YouVersion Bible app, the most shared Bible verse is not John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The most shared uh, Bible verse is not anything from the Lord's Prayer, although all those are in the, in the top 10. The top verse is the one that landed on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Yeah, you think I'm making this up, but I am not. Let's take a look. Sports Illustrated. There's Tim Tebow looking fierce. And can you read what's on the black paint under his eyes? Can we take a closer look at this? Phil 413. Phil, I thought his name was Tim. Philippians 413, under the eyes of the famous Tim Tebow. Again, let's look at that verse again, Philippians 413. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And we can well understand why this became the most viral, most shared verse. If you're looking for a verse in the Bible to pump yourself up, to inspire you, to motivate you, this is it. Uh, this is the one that will really pump you up. All things are possible for those who believe. You can climb to new heights. You can embrace your destiny. Do you want that new job? You want that soulmate? You want more money? You want the, that house? You want to get that deal? Get that part? You, you want to do well on America's Got Talent? No problem. You can accomplish everything through Christ. But is that what this verse is saying? Not at all. Because unlike the idea of taking a verse and applying it any way we want, we need to look at the context, and then we can know what Paul really meant. This is about finding strength in Christ, contentment in Christ, independent of circumstances. And particularly when those circumstances involve suffering, hardship. This is not about the ability to succeed or gain accomplishment or break through a barrier or finish a race or win a game. It's about finding strength in Christ to be content in the midst of hellish circumstances. This is about getting through times of persecution. Written by a man who is writing this in prison for his faith in chains. So what is Philippians 4.13 uh, really about? It's about the opposite of what it's often used for. Uh, this verse is often used to, to, to say we should force change in a situation, change our destiny. But Paul used it in a different way. Paul used it to accept the situation, to find strength to endure the situation, and to be content despite the situation. This verse deserves to be a viral verse it deserves to be most shared, but it should be shared for what it really means. Because most of us aren't very good at being content. You know, most of us, we're more driven by if onlys. If, if only I had that. If only I could do that. If only I could go there. If only I could be with that person, then I would be happy. But Paul is writing about a life deeper than that. He didn't live a life of the if-onlys. He lived a life of the as-only. He lived a life as only somebody could live if they were connected to God in Christ Jesus. What was a secret? Paul calls it a secret. 
He says, I'm going to tell you my secret for this. And here it is. When faced with difficulties, I can endure it. I can stand up under it. I can get through it because Christ gives me strength. Jonathan Merritt uh, once wrote a great blog about this. He says that Paul in this verse isn't telling people to dream bigger dreams, which is how it's often used. Paul is not telling people, uh, Merritt says, to dream bigger dreams. He's saying he's reminding them that they can endure the crushing feeling of defeat if and when those dreams aren't realized. He's not encouraging Christ followers to go out and conquer the world. He's reminding them that they can press on when the world conquers them. Hmm. This is about finding strength in difficult circumstances. This is about how relationship with God transcends the events of this world. How our relationship with Him is more important than what's happening around us or even what's happening to us. The circumstances, Paul says, are always secondary. What's primary is who we are and to whom we belong. Now this raises a very important point that's seldom discussed. And this is not for the the faint-hearted Christians. This is not the speech usually given in graduation ceremonies. But I think this is what Paul would say. I think it is what Jesus would say. A very important point is this. God's plan for your life may not include the good life. Did Paul live a good life? Paul lived a purposeful life. He lived a fulfilling life. He lived an adventurous life, but it wasn't a good life the way that you and I would ordinarily define that. When I reflect on what this life is meant to provide, my tendency is to think of material gain, physical health, relational joy, vocational success, and personal fulfillment. I don't often think of character development. I don't often think of soul formation. I don't often think of kingdom investment at my cost. I don't often think of suffering or martyrdom. I don't think of deprivation or hardship. Paul lived one of the most fulfilling, purposeful lives imaginable, but it was not an easy life. Paul, Paul had none of the things that we would ordinarily associate with the good life, but God is not primarily in the good life business. God's in the soul life business business. And sometimes what's best for our soul life is anything but the good life. In biology, it's called the adversity principle. Biologists have discovered that, uh, that habitual ongoing well-being is not good for a species. An existence with, without challenge, without hardship, without difficulty is not healthy. We need challenge to strengthen us. You see this in rainforest trees because, because water is so available, uh, those trees don't have to, to go very deep in their root system. They can go down just a couple feet. And, and so th- uh, that's why the slightest windstorm can knock them down. But a tree that's planted in dry land has to send its roots down 30 feet or more to find water. And so not even a hurricane gale force wind can knock them over. It's no difference with your life or mine. Now from that big idea, Paul's going to move on here in Philippians 4, 14. Let's put that up here. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me 
in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. So Paul starts thanking them for their gift, and then he says a few great words about contentment, and now he's back to their gift because he wants them to know that their gift was strategic for the cause of the gospel. And he commends them for how faithful they've been over the years in their giving. And did you pick up that there was a time that they were the only church that was supporting Paul? Paul says, not, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. But Paul was a church planter and a missionary, and his work was made possible by the generosity of Christians who believed in Paul and believed in his cause. But there was a time that only one church backed Paul financially. Now, we know that Paul at times made and sold tents to support himself. He was a tent maker. Some scholars think that word tent maker could also be leather maker or shoemaker. But by and large, Paul lived simply and he was supported by the generosity of others. And Paul wants his readers to know that their gifts have really made a difference. And I want to stop here and say the same thing to our church. As Paul thanked the church at Philippi for their gifts, I want to thank you for your generosity over the long haul, especially in this season, and let you know that your gifts really make a difference. Because of your giving, churches are planted, missionaries are sent out, groceries are distributed, kids are taught, schools are built, worship is offered. Uh, your gifts really matter. You may have heard this year we have a focused Thanksgiving offering. Each year we do this, a designated purpose, and we asked our partners in the city of Detroit, uh, in, in the central Detroit Christian community, this 22 square block neighborhood of the city that we've adopted, we asked what's the greatest need this year. And their director, Lisa, said this year we've had a lot of deaths in our neighborhood, some due to COVID, some honestly due to violence. And many of our neighbors have not been able to have or able to afford a funeral and maybe you could help with, with that. And so this year our Thanksgiving offering will go for funerals and to give families a, a memorial stone as a memento, as a reminder of their loved one. But friends, I've never received a request like this one. We ask this question a lot and some years it's can you help us start a preschool? Can you help us launch a tutoring program? Can you help us with housing? But funerals? So if you'd like to give to this sobering cause, make sure you mark your gift clearly, Thanksgiving offering, whether you give electronically or by check. Um, may your generosity be a witness for the gospel. Paul tells the Philippian Christians, thank you for giving. He says to them, your gift has helped me, Paul, personally. It's helped a lot of other people. And Philippian Christians, you may not realize this, but it helps you Two, Paul goes on in verse 17. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received gifts from Epaphroditus and the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Right. He tells them that 
their gifts would be credited in the eyes of God to their own life account. He says, I'm excited for you in your giving because heaven is marking this down. And not only is it being marked down, it's being paid forward. Paul says, God will meet all your needs according to his riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. You, Philippian Christians, have been generous with others, and God will be generous with you. You cannot outgive God. So Paul wraps up his letter with two powerful challenges about two things we can all aspire to be more intentional about. Contentedness and generosity. Contentedness and generosity. And then Paul signs off. He is done. Here is the end of his famous letter, the final words, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. He's in, he's in Rome. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. And so ends Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. A church not so different from our own, filled with people maybe very much like us. People discovering that even now there is joy in the journey. Let's, let's pray together. Dear God, we thank you for the life and example of the Apostle Paul, this one who lived life to the full, this one who experienced a deep, abiding, sustaining faith in the midst of trying times, this one who followed Jesus in all things. We receive today his teaching on contentment and generosity. We confess to having struggled with both. We confess our need to find our center in you. We pray together in the midst of anxious and trying times in our world. Uh, today we are reminded that we can do this. We can endure this. We can stand up under this through Christ who gives us strength. We can choose joy. This we pray in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Before we close, I want to give you a few uh, announcements. The prayer and praise service originally scheduled for this afternoon has been postponed to a date to be determined. The, the, there will be no prayer and praise service today, this afternoon. This week is Thanksgiving. And remember, your Thanksgiving offering can be made at any time before the year end. Just mark your gift appropriately. Next Sunday is the first official Sunday in Advent. It's the first official Sunday of the Christmas season. And I think our world needs a little Christmas now. We need a reminder of the God who is with us. And we're going to celebrate that and lean into that starting next week. I hope you'll join us. Uh, Wherever you are, would you please stand for our benediction? And this will be the final word of the day, the words of the Apostle Paul. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen.